This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. There is a ton on today's podcast that's really important. I think the end of the podcast is probably one of the more important things that we talked about, and that is what's happening in Ukraine and, and Russia. This is, I mean, this is like, uh, you know, a week in October, right before they could have blown each other up and everybody in America and Russia apparently and around the world are going, huh? Yeah. I, I hear they're, they got something on a boat they're sending over to Cuba. Huh? I hope it's, I hope it's cocktails. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's not cocktails. It's out of control, out of control. And we, we pose a couple of uh, theories and tell you about the accounting error that uh, apparently doesn't ever work out in our country's favor. It's, it's, you know, it's not fun. Also, we talk about Hawaii, and we have an idea at Mercury One, and we really need your help on it. If you are a doctor, PTSD, EMDR, anybody who deals with trauma, or a pastor, we'd like you to join our group. We're going to send groups over to Hawaii and just help with counseling over in Hawaii. The suicide rate is going up. This and also the latest on Biden and Trump and everything else on today's podcast. Here it is. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. I want to talk to you here. Um, about something that Billy Graham told me about five years before he died. We became friends at the end of his life. And I so admired him. And at one point, I said, Billy, where are the people that are going to step up? Where, where's the next George Washington, Abraham Lincoln? Where's the next Billy Graham? And he smiled and he said, God is tired of people like me getting credit for his work. He said, it's not going to work this way this time. He said, this time, people who are just regular people are going to do something that they may think is small and insignificant. And they may not even understand it. But they feel compelled that they're supposed to do this one thing and they'll argue in their own head, say, that doesn't make any sense. Why would I do that? What, that's not going to change anything. And he said, and if everybody who hears what they're supposed to do and does just that, nothing more, nothing less, just that, and remains faithful, he said, the lights will come on and you'll see a mosaic that God is working and Everyone on earth will know only the God of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob could have done it. That's what he told me. It has lasted with me, and I'm seeing that come to fruition right now. Oliver Anthony was a guy who was, at the end, just a few weeks ago, he was at the end, sitting in his truck, weeping 
completely broken. Now he's on Joe Rogan. He was on Joe Rogan and he's talking to Joe about the scriptures. And Joe is listening. And so are millions of Americans. I think what Oliver Anthony just did is what our preachers are failing to do. Our preachers, it's all gobbledygook. It doesn't feel real to so many Americans. But listen to this. Oliver Anthony on Joe Rogan. I kind of had this breakdown moment and um, decided that I was going to let whatever ego I had go. And just at this point, it's like I knew I didn't have much left in for me anyway. And I wanted I wanted to serve whatever purpose it was that I was here to serve. It's like you get this just overwhelming feeling in you. I, I was just crying like a baby, just this very like warm feeling throughout me. And that um, that really hasn't gone away since like I. I'm not the guy that can play in front of 12,000 people on guitar. I would be like. I mean, I had never played a paid gig when we when we played the show at the farm market where Jamie Johnson showed up. That was my first paid gig. Like, I'm not a guy to go out and play live shows, but I can tell you I was so like, um, I was just so at peace being up there. Like, it just felt like that's where I was supposed to be. And that and with all of this, it has been like, there's no way that Chris from six months ago could handle what's gone on the last two weeks. But I feel just so empowered from all of it. And um, I don't know. I'm telling you, like. Again, I'm not, I'm not anybody special, and I'm certainly not here to preach to anybody. But just from coming from somebody who was just really, just in a really just f-ed up place, like, and I use that word like with discretion, but in this case, it describes like where I was. Like that guy found a lot of peace, like from this book, and from, from looking at things in a different way. Yeah, from looking at things through the eyes well, yeah, of scripture. And I think for me, it was like I had been in. You know, I'd been in church growing up, and I had been I had been exposed to all of that, but I'd found a lot of um, a lot of theatrics and a lot of politics in church and in religion when I was younger, and so it just immediately turned me off to so it. So, if you can take us to like what was like the day you picked it up, what what was the feeling that you had, like what caused you to act, what what was it like when you did it? Yeah, I mean, I'd been reading it here and there, off and on, and I had for like off and on for a long time like because i again i was introduced to it as a kid but it was really just like um i remember i'd went to the i went to the er for everything that was going on i mean i thought i was seriously going to die like i was having shooting pains up under my jaw down in my wrist and my leg like just cardiovascular 101 symptoms of course i'm 31 i had been like I could run four miles without stopping, no problems. Like I knew my heart was strong, but You're I just, just freaking out. Yeah, but I went and did that, and uh, I remember being in the truck after that, just like, and I just, yeah, I just had a breakdown moment. I was just, cr- just crying, and um, was just, just, I just felt hopeless, like, like almost the way a child feels hopeless when they, you know, like you can't find your parent or something, like a, like a four year old that can't find his parents or something. I was just like just didn't have anything left in me and um okay stop listen to what he's doing here this is a guy just weeks ago was feeling just like that just weeks ago that that's in itself a miracle he's a guy who has screwed up everything in his life 
He said up until he was about 30, and then things went awry. <laughs> it was the exact opposite. I was just crazy bad until I was about 30, and then I tried to clean up my life. And all he's doing now is he's sitting in the truck, and he's completely broken. How many of us can relate to this? You're out of answers. Now listen. I don't know. I just uh, I just decided like right then and there, I was like, I know I can't do this anymore. And but I know I know that I can I know there's things that I need to do and I just I was just just told God, I was like, just let me do it. Like and I'll give all this up, I'll give up the weed and I'll quit getting <laughs> drunk and I'll quit um, I'll quit being so angry about things and I'll just like well, I'll just call it good. Whatever I've done up from from up until I was thirty or whatever thirty one, like I'll we'll just call that good and I'll start over again and um I'll make him the focus and not me. And I just tried to tried to let my let my ego and everything that I was just let that go and just focus on because because obviously like it's not just me. I've seen it with even other people I know and I see it with celebrities and everything but i don't know i just feel like um we're in such a weird place right now in the okay. world stop for a second what is he doing what's he doing right here this is the first step of alcoholics anonymous it's the first step i give up i can't do it i completely give up gotta give it all to you i'll just we'll just call it start fresh that is, without him knowing it, that is the first step. You cannot heal yourself until you get there. This is the problem with our nation. You can't fix it until we get there. Lord, I give up. I give up. We've tried everything. We've tried everything. Everything we do seems to make it worse. We've tried this. We've tried this. The only thing we haven't tried is humbling ourselves. See, this is, this is why humility is so important. Because without humility, you can't get to where he is, which is completely broken. And luckily, for me as an alcoholic, and unfortunately for my mom, who was an alcoholic, my mother's bottom was death. She didn't have a place that was bad enough to break her until death. I'm grateful that that wasn't my bottom line. And I've wondered for a long time, is that the bottom line for our country? Is our country... Are we so arrogant that we'll let it die? Before we say, okay, I give up. I give up. I, I, just, I just want peace in my life. I just, I, I want to be a decent person. We want to be a good country, but we obviously don't know how to do it. Now listen to what he's about to do. The next step. Listen to this. I feel like God's working through, inadvertently through certain people to get, to get his point across. He is. Um, so take me to what what you did. Did you start reading the Bible? Like what did you do? I just changed my perspective. Um, you changed. You, you, I quit like, worrying about me, and I started worrying about what 
what it is that I'm supposed to do. You know, like it talks in the Bible about um, about being a servant and, you know, giving up, I guess, my desire and my will and whatever it is that I, that I want to do. Like, um, I, do, I don't know the best way to describe it, but it's about... It's about trying to use what I have as a tool versus doing what I can in the moment to give what give myself whatever satisfaction that it is I'm trying to get. You know, it's about letting trying to let go of your ego, I guess, in a way. Um, mm. And I mean, people people pursue that mentality without faith. I mean, it's the idea of there being something bigger than you. But I think inherently, all human beings idolize something like it talks in the bible about false idols we all have false idols like whether it's our phone or it's a celebrity or it's something we do or it's our addiction to food or drugs or whatever but like it's very difficult for a human to be the biggest thing on their hierarchy there's always something above us right because we're always in pursuit of something bigger than whatever it is in that moment and i think for me it was just about taking everything else all the distractions and all the other things in my life away and just ensuring that at least and look i'm we're all we're all we all sin and we all do stupid things like we're all just people nobody's special or righteous people sometimes act like they're special and righteous but we're all just the same thing like um but it's just about trying to make that make that my idol make 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 god and the concept of what it is that he wants done on this earth my idol versus anything else stop he's just completed the first two steps Step one, admit you're powerless over alcohol or whatever else it is, and that your lives are unmanageable. That's the first thing you have to do. My life is completely out of control. I've tried everything. I'm broken. I'm crying in my truck. I I can't do it. I'm powerless over this. I can't stop it. Second step. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. He's saying there is a God. There is a God. And and I've I've followed other gods and all of these other gods are false. They've only played into my problem because they feed my ego and what I want. And only thing only thing that is above humans is God. And so I am powerless over my problem and my life is is out of control and only a power greater than me can restore us to stand to sanity. First two steps. Okay, so the third step, let's see if he makes it like we all serve we all serve some master whether we realize it or not so why not let it be the master that is above all and so when you made this transformation in your mind did you then start reading scripture like regularly like what did you start doing yeah well it was different well what's what really i guess it's like now i don't read it i don't read it because i feel like i should read it to be a better person it's like now I, I try to read it for the guidance within it and i'm still in the infancy stages of a lot of this like i've read a lot of Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, and Luke, and um, there's other good books, but just trying to, I don't know, like trying to restructure, I guess, on a granular level, like I guess the neural pathways in my brain that have certain habits and certain ways of thought, like I've tried to retrain that to, um, you know, like there's there's things it says, like, I, and I'll be very brief with this, I promise, but 
like one thing. Ironically, it's uh, Proverbs four twenty, which I thought you would <laughs> like. <laughs> so if there's anything okay. better, perfect. But, Stop um, for just a second before we get to that. He just completed the third step. Okay, first step, we're powerless. Our lives are out of control, and I have no power to stop it. Second, there is a power greater than me. There is a, a God, a God of your understanding, a power greater than me that will restore me to sanity. Third step, I will turn my will and my life over the care of God as I understand him. The first thing he said when we went back to this clip is, we all serve a master. I just decided to serve the master, the God. And now I'm reading scriptures so I get to learn his will, what he wants me to do. Third step, made a decision to turn over our lives uh, and our will over to the care of God as we understand him. I'm telling you, God is working miracles. This is why I've said, you want to save the country? It's anyone who understands the 12 steps of AA. It will get you there. We need to do this as a nation. But the fourth step is the really tough one. Do we have time to go on to the, here's, uh, I think he said it was Psalms 420. Proverbs 420. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. But um, that's pretty big. Yeah, it is. profound. <laughs> Joe Rogan. Wow, that's profound. Um, so l- listen to what he just said. This, I think that this is the, the proverb that he would bring up. Tells you everything you need to know about him and politics. He has done everything he could to distance himself from the right and the left, mainly from the right. Because those were the ones running to him with open arms going, you're one of us. He's, I believe, being used by God. And you're not going to make any inroads if you're Glenn Beck and your name is so associated with the right. Or, you know, you're Michael Moore and you're so associated with the left. Whatever. It's not going to happen. He's fixing his eyes on God, not turning to the right or the left. And he will fulfill whatever it is he's supposed to fulfill. And he'll be shocked by it, as he already is shocked by it. God works quickly when we are willing. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. All right, we're going to uh, Kimberly Herman now. She is the Southeastern Legal Foundation General Counsel. She is um, part of the the legal group that filed the lawsuit to get Joe Biden's pseudonym emails. Now, if you're taking this from the very beginning, I'm going to ask her to tell us what the pseudonym emails and how common those are, et cetera, et cetera. Hi, Kimberly. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Okay, so we heard about uh, uh, Joe Biden using a pseudonym 
in fact, several pseudonyms when he was the vice president. And we got this because of some of the emails on Hunter Biden's laptop, correct? That's correct. We first learned about these in the summer of 2021 when uh, Hunter Biden's laptop was exposed and authenticated and John Solomon, New York Post, Daily Mail, you, lots of people covered these. Um, And we were really interested in them because why would a vice president need to use an alias email address and forward government information to his son and his son's business partners? And so we started asking the National Archives for the records all the way back in 2021. So and they just released them. So they're quick. Uh, they, have, they have actually still not released them. Um, when we filed that initial request, they came back and said, whoa, whoa, we can't release any of Joe Biden's vice president records till 2022. Come back then. So we waited. We came back then. And we've been waiting for 14 months. They have acknowledged that about 5,400 of these potentially exist. Wow, where what story was I reading today or maybe a couple of days ago that I thought a thousand existed and 800 had just been released. None of them have been released and there's 5400 of them? Yeah, so none of these alias ones have been released. Um I believe that our friends over I believe in America First Legal have uh also submitted some FOIA requests and that they have been getting some some emails okay. that they're not necessarily the pseudonym emails, right? Okay, because okay. He didn't always use the pseudonym. He just do, used it sometimes. Do you know how common it is for a president or vice president to have pseudonym emails? I mean, other others have come out where they've said, you know, we know about how well, we obviously know about how like what, Hillary Clinton's yeah. secret um, uh. server. Um, that was an entire server. Um, there have been other stories out there that past presidents have used them. You know, use them. I don't think that you should be using them. I think that there's legal, massive legal implications. But whether you use them or not, these emails are still government records. It was He was still the vice president talking about government information and forwarding that on to people. That makes it a government record. It makes it subject to the Freedom of Information Act, which means that anyone in the public can request that these records get released. Now, um, we don't know what's in the pseudonym uh, emails. We're hearing now that we are uh, seeing things from the White House coming out from the White House that Joe Biden was um, involved with his uh, son's firm. Uh, they were getting invitations to things. They were actually in communication uh, on, you know, uh, state dinners, et cetera, et cetera, and played a role in those, which I think is extremely uncommon, I would imagine. Um, but the, yeah. the pseudonym, you think that these are even more damning, possibly, because... Uh, yeah, I mean, why else would you use a pseudonym, right? And so we've been... We've been sending FOIA requests and trying to release as many documents to the public as we can about Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and Burisma and the other things that happened in Ukraine um, for, oh my gosh, three, four years now. And we've seen in a lot of those records with official email addresses that those meetings happened. We've put them out on our website. John Solomon's put them out. Um, He's done a lot of those FOIA requests that we've litigated. And so those are damning enough. Why else would you use a pseudonym if you're not doing something nefarious? Now, maybe they'll come out 
and we will all learn that there's nothing important in them. Maybe they were personal communications. 5,400 of them? Laptop, I highly, highly doubt it. Right. right? Yeah. I mean, I, I highly doubt it. I can't speculate to what's in them um, until we see them, but something just doesn't, doesn't quite smell right. Right. And we know that because of another email, right? We got the pseudonym uh, we found out that the, that he was emailing in pseudonym because of the Hunter Biden laptop. We saw the, what is it, Robin L. Peters or something like that, um, Robert L. Peters. Um, and do we know that he did communicate with the head of Ukraine um, under a pseudonym? He was doing some official business in Ukraine, we think. He was reaching out to the president or somebody like that. Right. I am sorry. I have yeah, not followed this story. Yeah, there, there are some indications to that. And there are various emails out there floating around. We at SLS have not personally authenticated any of them. Um, but there are stories out there and there are emails that we've seen out there um, where there are these types of communications happening. And, you know, through the other FOIA work that we've done over the last several years, we have seen evidence of those meetings. We have exposed very key records. One of them was a memo that came out just a few weeks ago um, where you're ta- they're talking about setting up these meetings. And so there's really no question that Hunter Biden and Devin Archer and his other business partners were getting access to top State Department officials to talk about their business dealings, what influence it had on that. I'll leave that to the congressional investigations and we'll leave that um, to the people who can actually do something about that. Right. Our goal here is to just really try to help restore some level of government integrity. Either we have a FOIA or we don't produce the records. How unusual is this to be blocked uh, with a FOIA like this for something that is emails? So I honestly, I wish I could say that it's unusual. It has taken us seven years to get records from some government agencies in the past. This is a fundamental problem that we have in our country, right? We have those that are elected into office and they preach transparency and they say, we're going to show you everything. And then it's just stonewall, 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 stonewall by all of the federal agencies. And so this is a massive problem. What is it that they have to hide? We're still litigating lawsuits that we had against the DOJ and the FBI to try to uncover what was actually happening with Russiagate, right? Here we are all these years later. Um, You know, we won't stop until we can expose the truth because the only way that we'll have a republic, the only way that we can rebuild this republic is by truth and transparency. So how is it that, I mean, we can change this? How, How do we change this? We just have to try to change the culture and we have to let we have to let the federal government know we as Americans have to let them know that we are not going away. We know that we have the right to these records and we will ask for them and we will continue to ask for them. Fortunately, we have the courts. And so now we've had a turn to the courts. It's time intensive. It's resource intensive. It means that, you know, we have to continue to wait. But there there is a way to get resolution. And fortunately, um, we have a judiciary, a strong federal judiciary. Thank you, President Trump, um, that we can then turn to. So they now have, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the National Archives and Records has 30 days from here to respond. Yes. Yep. They've got 30 days from when they are served the complaint um, to respond 
you know, we're really hopeful that they'll just come to the table and that they'll come to us and say, we know we kept putting you off. We're going to review the records. We're going to produce them and that we don't have to continue to litigate it in court. If they really fight hard in court to not turn these records over in a timely manner, that is a signal in and of itself, in my opinion, that there's definitely something in them that somebody does not want some of the American public. To so it, it would be illegal for the White House to interfere with the uh, archives and, and records, right? I mean, you can't have phone calls going back and forth from, you know, the, the Biden White House saying, no, keep these. They're supposed to just judge it coldly and uh, and release what they have to release. And if there is a national secret in there, then they can classify it. But there should be no uh, no political uh, play in anything like this, should there? There, there really shouldn't be. I mean, there are some exceptions for classified information. Yes, and you know, Joe Biden could then determine that he would declassify them potentially. And so, there's obviously a process for that, um, as you mentioned. But there should not be communications going back and forth. You know, one thing that will be very interesting after all of this is to FOIA any communications about our FOIA. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's something that's always really interesting to do because sometimes those communications do happen. And again, we, we just have to continue to fight to expose all of this because hopefully one day politicians will wake up and say, you know what, they mean business. I really need to be transparent now. Uh, This is an organization. If you don't know the Southeastern legal foundation, um, you should uh, it is slfliberty.org. If you are somebody who has resources and you're tired of all of this, put your money where people are actually doing things to expose the truth and then putting those in the hands of people who can enforce the truth and clean up all the bad things. Uh, and that is exactly what Southeastern Legal Foundation does. Uh, go to sf, uh, sorry, slfliberty.org. That's slfliberty.org. General Counsel, Kimberly Herman. Kimberly, thank you for everything that you're doing. God bless you. Thank you. You bet. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. We welcome to the uh, program a man whose name I have a hard time pronouncing. It's Jip Decker. That's uh, true. J.P. Decker is uh, the Mercury One executive director. He was a senior producer on this program for a long time. Then he stabbed me in the back and went to work for Fox. I told him not to, but he did, and he was successful there. But then he comes crawling. (laughs) Then he comes crawling back. And I said, okay, I love people. Charity. Go be the executive director. I did come back. You did. Let's, I mean, let's make that. I came back. Yeah, you did come I back. I did come back. I don't remember the quarreling part. Uh, but uh, JP, you were just in uh, Maui, uh, and we were talking about this on last night's show. Mm-hmm. And you told me, and it's 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 strange. There's a story in the New York Times today about how you know white people have just done Hawaii so badly and Mm. and same with puerto rico and you know it's all from the i don't know the christian missionary (laughs) i mean it's just so convoluted and and i know that some people uh in hawaii and some people in 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 other places that are faraway states think that we don't think of them as americans Mm -hmm. and you you were telling me 
that you had a hard time at the beginning because people just would look at you and go, oh, you're from the mainland. And then that was a problem. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anytime in anywhere that I went to, the first thing they thought I was going to bring wads of cash and buy them out. I mean, and they said, oh, we've already had many people come in, nonprofits, everyone say, oh, yeah, as long as you put your logos up somewhere uh, and make Mm. sure you tell people that we're the ones helping you, we will help you. And I always would tell them there's no cameras. A couple of people, we didn't film until after we talked to them for a long time. Mm. Um, But I said, you know, we don't have cameras. We're not here for that. I'm here to ask how you're doing and how I can help as a nonprofit make Lahaina Lahaina again. And that would disarm them and help them to know that I'm not in it for gain. I'm in it for, to help. Right. And what we do at Mercury One is we'll go into these disaster situations when we're in Florida now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are. So um, we go into these disaster situations and we assess. I mean, first thing we do is we go to our our go-to partners mm-hmm. that are always you know first in. And we say, what do you need? And we give them the supplies or whatever it is they need. Then we go in and we find the locals that are actually doing something that they they can do best more than anybody else. Uh, and we are not there. We never are there to get our pictures taken or hand them a giant check or anything. We don't have we don't have a PR firm that no. is for Mercury yeah. One because we don't do that. It's truly about helping and enabling people to help themselves. Yep. And when we went in, we we helped, you know, provide food, water, you know, and this was through our partners, electricity yeah. and Wi-Fi. But Satellite. now there's a, there's a bigger problem. And that's what we're focused on now, which is the mental health crisis that's happening there. And it hasn't it hasn't shown itself yet, but it will soon. Mm-hmm. You you know just what happened with covid how sketchy all of our families are right now because of of mental illness or 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 depression or things that our country and our world is going through a a, a fundamental transformation to quote barack obama um and it is transforming us as people and we're not we're not aware that we are so disconnected from reality and now add knowing that your family burned to death in mm-hmm. the house and you're a survivor. Mm-hmm. They didn't survive. There's a lot of survivor's remorse going on with a lot of the people that I spoke with. I mean, Glenn, all of us have been through some kind of traumatic experience. Not like that. Not like that. And that's what a lot of the survivors were telling me. Uh, I, they even said, I don't know how to help my brothers or my sisters or my family or my friends that were there. And that's, that is a problem, and that's why they feel left. That's why they feel left alone, because they're so focused on helping each other. And all the outside groups are saying, well, we'll give you this money, we'll give you this, and but they're not helping with the mental side of things. They haven't even processed what they've been through, and it's been almost a month. So you told me this last night live on the, on the show, and I just had this feeling that Okay, that's that's what we should do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what I want to ask is, if you are a doctor, you're somebody who you deal in PTSD, uh, EMDR, um, any kind of trauma, and that's your deal, would you be willing to volunteer uh, to be a part of our team? We'd like as many as possible to go over and and help them mm-hmm. with mental health. We don't 
all we want them to see is people from the mainland that just love them and don't want anything from them. We just came because we love you and you're part of us, not only the human family, but the American family. And I, I think I'm getting goosebumps when I say this. I, I think we can make a real difference um, in just the love quotient mm -hmm. um, uh, to take this this tragedy and turn it into a, an opportunity to heal much more than just Lahaina. Yeah, there, there is there was a moment, quite a few moments when the question that I would ask anyone that I was with was, how are you doing? And that's all that mattered. And they just would cry and tell me their story and their pain that they're going through. And then they would tell me about the suicides that have happened already and that they ha they don't want anyone else to die. You know, it's amazing. I remember on 9-11, I remember we went out that night. We were in uh, Tampa, and I think you were probably there, Stu. Oh, yeah, we were together that night. Uh, sure. And that night we went to Outback Steakhouse. Outback Steakhouse. Yeah, we went to Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> yes, one of the weirdest dinners of all <laughs> ever, time. Ever, mm ever. -hmm. It was so weird. And I remember we got into the parking lot, and somebody was there, and one of us just said to that person, like, they were our old friends, but we didn't know them. And we said, how you doing? Mm. And we sat and I, they may have cried. I don't remember because yeah. it, it happened so often. But we <clears throat> just saw each other truly as brothers and sisters. And we were all going through something. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's really important. And they're, they're not. I mean, can you imagine processing this? And where am I going to have my next meal? Where am I gonna? Where am I gonna sleep? What about my clothing? I don't have any documents left. Mm -hmm. I don't have any pictures of my family. I've got nothing. Can you imagine just processing that? Let alone what you probably saw. Mm -hmm. And you know, ten ten years ago, um, where I'm from, Moore, Oklahoma, was destroyed. My my home, my family were safe, but everything was gone. And Within 12 hours, you said, JP, let's go. And we went with one of our partners and Mercury One. And to see that firsthand, it still affects me. And I wasn't even there to see my town destroyed. But, uh, you know, these, these people are seeing something I've never seen. When I was there driving through it, the first time Sean Foster, who was with me, we were driving through, we were shocked. It, it, is, it is gone. It's ashes. It's really, I, I've never experienced anything like this except for um, when Joe Biden's, no, um, except for the, um, the Yellowstone fires. Mm -hmm. And I drove through right after the Yellowstone fire. And when, when something has been made into ash, mm -hmm. uh, it is, the power of fire is overwhelming. And that was just, you know, trees and god forbid some animals this is man man yeah yeah and these kids have seen things that no one should ever see okay so we are looking for um doctors that are trained ptsd counseling emr uh, emdr uh pastors mm -hmm. that have dealt in trauma we would love you to join our team um we'll set you up and 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 get you there if you would just do a few days and it's not a vacation, right? No, um, but uh, uh, please uh, contact us. You can reach out to the email address is communications at mercury one one dot org. 
That's communications at mercuryone.org. I know we, uh, do we have Chad on? I haven't talked to Chad about this. Have you? I, I, ended, I just got off the phone with him okay. before I came in here. So Chad Robichaux is um, just fantastic. He's with Mighty Oaks. He helped, uh, or we helped him in uh, Afghanistan and, and other places. And this is kind of what they do with people uh, who are experiencing PTSD from being in battle overseas. Chad. Hey, Glenn. Uh, we got to find other ways to, to meet up, but... Glad to be on. I know, I know. Every time we see each other, it's because there's something horrible that has happened. Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, so did JP get a chance to really explain this to you on what we want to do? We want to send, if your team can spare anybody, I know you're all over the world and still in Afghanistan. Uh, if If you can spare anybody that really can help on the spiritual healing needs and the uh you know the uh the trauma needs yeah you know jp and i talked and and uh and i went right to our cause when this first kicked off you know we my heart was right away like hey we have to get people out there and help and then you always had the concern you know am i going to be in the way am i really need it uh you know you want to clutter the but but after talking to jp and talking to other people on the ground there there's a massive need for people to come in uh, volunteers to come in and just be with people, pray with people, uh, help give people some, uh, some insights on, you know, how to move forward. And so, you know, Mighty Oaks has done that all over the world. We do that for our troops here. And, and, uh, we've done that in partnership with, with you in Afghanistan and in Ukraine. I have teams still working in Afghanistan and Ukraine right now, but uh, as we assess this, we, we, uh, we certainly have the bandwidth to do it. It's something we're willing to take on and feel obligated to take on. Uh, this is our country and our, and our fellow people. And, uh, our fellow countrymen and, and uh, you know, Hawaii is not some far off land. It's, no, it's our ours. People and uh, we, we, we want to we go and help. Chad. And so, yes. Uh, so, JP, that we're, we're in. Okay. Um, let me ask you, can, can you give us something out of all the tragedy that you're involved in all over the world? Give me something today that I can chew on all day and go, wow, that is really good to know. Give me something good. <laughs> I mean... I mean, I think through the tragedy uh, around the world, especially I think where I've seen it most is in Ukraine, where you, you've seen people that literally lost everything, just like the people in Hawaii. Um, you see people at, the, at their you know, most vulnerable time and, and their weakest moment uh, find a hope that they never found before, find strength and resiliency they never found before. And, and the way they find that is through community. I think in, um, in most cases, people in America especially, but all over the world, we get in busy lives and we, we live our independent lives and we, we kind of don't wave at our neighbors and, and uh, with, when crises happen, I guess people come together and lock arms. And, uh, and it's actually a, a beautiful thing. I was in a place called Kharkiv, Ukraine, in a, in a bunker with 300 people. And, uh, and most of them had lost family members. They lost their homes. They lost their everything. And, uh, and I woke up in the morning and they asked me to come, down, come out from the bunker and, and be with them in this large open area they had. And they had 300 people in there all singing praise and worship. Uh, mm. And these aren't people that normally would, you know, church attenders or everything, they're just worshiping God. People have lost everything. And it just like took me back. Like, how could these people be, uh, it really just convicted me. Cause I'm like, how could these people be so joyous right now in such a, the hardest moment of their life when they lost family members and everything. And it's just people coming together, uh, finding hope and locking arms and supporting each other and being there for each other. And, you know, I think in those moments, and I know you're asking for volunteers and some people may be thinking like, how do I even help? What do I say? 
And I was in that moment in Ukraine. I'm like, they wanted me to get up and talk. I'm like, what do I say? And the only thing I could say in that moment was, I don't know what you're going through. No one's ever attacked besides 9-11, but no one's ever. I never had to fight for my home and my family. Um, but all I could say is that we, we care. People care. And we're here. I'm, I'm right here. I came here to be with you from, from America to Kharkiv. And I'm here with you right now because to show you, if anything else, that people care. And, uh, you know, if pe- volunteers go out there, sometimes you don't have to have all the answers, but you can just sit in front of someone and say, I came here because I care about you. Yeah. You're not alone in this. I can, might not understand what you're going through, but, but I'm here with you. And sometimes that's enough. Chad, thank you. Na, 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 na. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.